Thanks for being in the house of God today. Let me give a shout out to our online people. Uh, that community of, of folks is just continuing to grow and expand farther and farther. And we are pumped that you're checking in, man. Thanks so much for doing what you're doing. We're glad to have you in the house of God. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. So if you got a Bible, you can find that. You want to find it on your app. Uh, go ahead and do that and get ready. We're going to touch base uh, on a text in that chapter here in a few minutes. So the, um, the call came into the church that day, uh, kind of a call that we were not expecting, but just kind of out of the blue. And it was from the, uh, the people of a well-known local politician who was running for a seat in the United States House of Representatives. And uh, this person wanted to meet with local pastors and hear what the Christian community considered to be some of the important issues of the day. And so that call came uh, to the church there. And I thought it was a great opportunity to represent our church. I thought it was a great chance to kind of speak on behalf of the Father and highlight some of the things important to those of us of faith, of uh, things that we think are important for, uh, for a strong, healthy culture. And so uh, when I heard about the call, uh, we just set it up. We just set it up. Now, everybody in the room wants to know who it was with. And I'm not going to tell you who it was with, okay? Because uh, many of you will recognize that person, so that's not the point. I'm going to refer to the candidate as her, okay? Now, it might have been him. I'm not going to tell you, okay? So I'm going to refer to this person as a her. And so she called, can we get together, meeting with a lot of pastors. And so uh, the day of the appointment arrived, <laughs> and I'm telling you, dude, I was ready. I was ready. I had spent some time thinking through that question, and I had lined out a few things in order of importance, uh, reasoning behind every one of them, had them all lined out, you know, everything. Those of you who know me, you know what I'm talking about, okay? I could have made a presentation to Congress that day. So, man, I am ready. And uh, the day shows up. I got my office cleaned up. Um, I remember today on my hands and knees picking up the potato chip crumbs. So probably I'll not have those uh, with this person in my office. And so, man, we are ready. The place looks depressive. I brought in a conference table. I didn't have one of those. I brought one of those in my office. And uh, I even, that morning when I left the house, I had a suit on. Yeah, I heard a few. What are you talking about? That was back in the day when we were starting to get rid of suits, okay? I can remember a large part of my ministry, I wore a full suit, a tie, the whole works, six days a week, every week. And nowadays, either somebody's getting married or buried. I got a suit on, one of those is happening, okay? Somebody's having some good news or bad news, one or the other. Although in some cases, they're both bad news. But anyway, that's another story. So on that day, um, I had suited up, man, and I gave instructions to our receptionist. I remember training her how you respond when somebody like that comes in our, our doors, introduce yourself, thank her for coming, would she like some coffee, water, escort her to my office, you know, treat her like royalty. So, so this is a big deal, and the day arrives. And uh, the hour of the appointment arrives, and believe it or not, she's right on time, man. I didn't anticipate that. Right on time. And our receptionist comes to my office, knocks on the door, 
Open the door, she does all the great introductions. This is our pastor, this so-and-so, and does all those things. And I shake her hand, and she and, and her person comes in. She's got a person. You know, everybody's got to have a person if somebody. And so they come in, and I invite her to have a seat, and she immediately takes over the meeting. These were her opening words. And I might be a word or two apart because it's been so many years, but it's really close. Can you believe some of the garbage our president is doing? That was her opening words to me. And before she even sat down, she brought that up. And for the next 15 minutes, I didn't say a word. I just sat there. It was one attack after another attack of all the people not in her political party. And almost every item, I remember this, almost every item she mentioned, I agreed with. But her spirit was like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. And so finally I just interrupted I probably shouldn't have, okay? Uh, but I did, and I said something like, it was my understanding that you wanted to hear my perspective on issues that are important to the Christian community. That was my way of saying, I thought this was, meeting was about listening to me. And she said something like, oh yeah, sure, I, th I think I know what they are, but you know, what do you got? And she probably thought I was gonna mention some of the hot topic issues of that day for us Christians, and I had those on my list. But in that moment, something else came out that was not on my prepared list. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it was a bad taco the night before. I don't know what it was. But I said something like this to this person. I said, Here, here's what we would really like. We would like to live in a world where respect and appreciation for other people is more important than our disagreements. Now, she had a weird look on her face. She kind of chuckled a bit, and then she said, well, you know, good luck with that. And then she jumped back into her tirade of why we had to get her into office so she could stop the insane leadership of our incompetent president. The whole meeting lasted about 20 minutes. Uh, she stood abruptly when she had to leave. I got to get my next appointment. She shook my hand and she left. And that was it. And I went back to my office. I put the table up. I changed into some more comfortable clothes. And I sat down by my desk and I thought, how can we learn to attract people to truth? Because that wasn't it. That meeting was 28 years ago. And man, I wish I could stand with you today and relive that meeting and say, we got way past that. I wish I could tell you that. And we haven't got way past that at all, have we? That's the world politically in which you and I live. And the thing that bothers me the most is not just that it happens in that world and we see it through media. The, the thing that bothers me the most is that that spirit of negativity has somehow come into our family. And those of us in the Christian community have learned from them. And maybe we're getting a little bit better along the way in some fashion, but I don't know that we have totally whipped this thing. And so because of that, as the political climate continues to rise in our world today, I just think it's a good time for us Christians to stop for a second and remind ourselves what God has 
commanded us to do when we're living in the midst of all that? What are we Christians supposed to do? And my fear, as I shared openly with you last week, was not just from a Christian community, but when I think about my own heart, my fear is that we are taking their lead way more than they're taking our lead. And somehow God has a different plan to that, and Philippians chapter 2 begins to express how we can make that happen. And so the nature of that study that we've called separation of church and hate, and that is coming down to this one simple thing. We do not do what they do. We don't do that. And the things we do, they probably won't do, but that's not important to us. The issue is we do not do what they do. The second chapter of Philippians is an opportunity where, where Paul took some people in the midst of a political culture and he shared with them how Christians respond when the world around us is losing their mind. And so last week we, we kicked it off with how Paul started in Philippians 2. And I think it's really important in series like this that you see there's connection from each week. And so last week as we started the second chapter of Philippians, we see that Paul began that whole discussion with this idea of unity. That for the Christian community, we come together, okay? And even though the world out there is divided, and it's divided more and more and more and more, that's not what we do. Because the uniqueness of the Christian community is that we come together. And when you turn on the TV, you don't see that. When you look at social media, you don't see that, what we see in our world today, and it is heating up in the last 10 days, if you've not paid much attention to that, where it is division and dividing. And everywhere you look, that's what you find out. In fact, I read this last week. It was intended to be funny, and it is funny, but it is an indication of the divisive world in which we live. The article I was reading was making a joke, the fact that Walmart is now selling commemorative presidential watches. And I didn't know that. Apparently there's a case there where you can go buy these watches that commemorate our, our, our recent presidents. There is a blue one with Barack Obama's face on it for $49.95. And you can get a red one with Donald Trump's face on it for $69.95. And you get a gray one, I guess because of his age, with Joe Biden's face, and it only costs $19.95. <laughs> but with tax, it costs you $350. Bucks. And so, do you see how it just divides? And whether it's humor or whether it's hate, every day, all day, we are divided. And so Paul says this to the Christian community. And if you heard last week, it's important that you, you remember that. He says, okay, to the Christian community. He wasn't talking to the world. You and I somehow got to wrap our heads around that, that the Bible was not written to non-Christian people. It was written to us. And so that's how, that's how they're doing it. That's not how we do it. We come together. That doesn't mean we all vote the same. It doesn't mean we all have the same opinions on issues. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is the glue, the bond that we have in Jesus is more important than any other issue. And so we come together while the world divides. 
And so that's how Paul begins this important second chapter. Now, before we move on in his thought after the introductory part of that chapter, I I want to take a pause. I knew I needed to do this at some point in the series, and my plan was to do um, next weekend at the end of it, and I just think that's too late to to wait for that. I want to hit a pause before we move beyond unity, and I'll ask this question. Why do you think God wants it to be different? What is the reason behind God wanting your marriage to operate in a way that marriages out there don't operate? Why would he he say, hey, let's do it different here? Why, Why would he ask you to raise your kids differently than your friends who raise their kids but they don't know Christ. Why, why would he say, hey, let's have families that are radically different? Why would he say anything about how you manage your money not being how the secular world manages? Or why does God say, hey, be unique? Anybody remember the yellow balls? Anybody remember that? Why does he ask us to be holy and separated and different? I think it's an important question. The Bible tends to answer that threaded throughout its teaching in both Old and New Testament. And I want to to show you a couple. I want to use an example of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm just showing you a couple verses, but it's, it's mentioned dozens of times the why. Why he wants your marriage different, your kids different, your money different, your time different, everything. Why he wants it different. So let me show you a passage from the Old Testament and check this out. And this is really, really important. I know I'm doing a lot of introductory stuff before I get to the meat of it, but y'all ain't got nothing going on until, you know, 10, 11 tonight. So hang on, here we go. Your fame spread among the nations. I love that. Your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Old Testament. And God is talking to Israel, his people, whom he has asked through a set of incredible uh, numerous laws about how you live and what you do and what you don't do. And God has asked Israel not to be like anybody else, not like any of the other nations around you. So why? And the reasoning that comes up from the prophet Ezekiel is he reminds us that we are different because we will appear beautiful to those not in our family. That we will live lives that are attractive. Everybody stay with me. We will do things in our life and stay away from other things in our life so that the way we live our lives, those on the outside look and realize, dude, you got something happening that I ain't got happening. And they are attracted to it. That we live beautiful lives so that those on the outside are drawn to the one who has made us beautiful. Now don't miss this, you miss it, man, you have ruined my whole week because I've been thinking about this all week long. When you wanna change people on the outside because they don't believe what you believe and they live in a way that you don't think they ought to live, if you wanna make an impact people on the outside, it's my experience 
that I've never seen anybody change because I yelled at them. I didn't see anybody ever change because I judged them and told them about a place called hell. I've never seen anybody change because of that. You know, I've seen people change because they saw something in us beautiful. So God, why do you want us to be different? So that you will attract people. So we're talking about this this craziness in our political world right now where it seems people are losing their mind and there is a vitriol and an anger like we've never seen. Here's what God would say to the Christian community. Don't you do that. If you do that, you will repel them. If that makes sense to anybody, would you say, got it? So I know there's a few here who are catching that. Now, that concept is just, I mean, it's threaded throughout the whole Bible. Let me take you to the New Testament. And some of you will remember when Jesus said something of the same nature. Jesus one time said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If anybody looks at Matthew 5, the Bible thumpers in the room know, oh, that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's his most famous sermon that he ever preached. And in this sermon, he talked about how people who follow him will live lives that nobody else is living. It's counter to culture completely. And so when he starts this message, he tells us, now here's why I'm going to ask you to do this differently. Here's why I'm going to ask, ask you to have different relationships. Here's why I'm going to ask you to have different marriages. Here's why I'm going to ask you to do this and not do that. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to do all that. So that they on the outside will see your light. And they will be drawn to it. And so the essence of this series, when it comes right down to it, is the reason that God has called us to be different is so that we will reach them. And the plan for the Christian community, when the political world is becoming corrupt and divisive, is not for us to yell louder than them. And it's not for us to tell them how terribly wrong they are, even though they may be wrong. The plan for the Christian community is to live such godly, holy lives that they will see our beauty. And so Philippians 2 starts this way. Come together. And they will be shocked at what it looks like when people come together because they're just apart. I remember one time I was playing golf and I got... I was in some kind of a charity event thing, and I got teamed up with a guy that I didn't know. And so we're out there playing, and it became very apparent really early on that this guy did not know Jesus. And so when he hit a bad shot, he would, you know, he would throw a tirade and rant, rave, and yell and scream. He spoke in tongues a lot because I heard words I'd never heard before. And so this guy's just a crazy man whenever he hit a bad shot. And I was hitting bad shots too, probably more than him, but I didn't go crazy. And so he asked me this. We're walking down the fairway, and he asked me this question. He said, hey, man, I noticed when you get a bad shot, you don't cuss. Why don't you cuss? And I said, well, you're not paying very close attention. I don't cuss, but when I spit, the grass just dies right there. So it's in me, all right? 
But I said this to him. I didn't even know the dude. I said this to him. I said, not what some Christians would say. Well, Kyle, I don't want to go to hell like you're on. Okay? That's why I don't guys. Here's what I said. Dude, I found out that God loves me whether I score a birdie or a bogey. And that changed my life. And he went, hmm. Do you see the difference? And so what God has called us as Christians in the midst of political craziness is that we live our lives in a way that it will attract them. And that's completely different than what a lot of people thought this series was going to be like when they heard we were going to deal with politics at Eastside. Oh, man, let's go. They're going, to, they're going to tell them how the other side is so wrong and how God's going to get them someday. No, that's oftentimes the reason we're in the mess that we're in. Because you and I messed it up. No, live your life in a way that they will see you beautiful. Unity will do that. Now let me show you something else will do it because Paul moves right into it and that is humility. That if you can learn the spirit of humility and what that is and live your lives with humility, it will attract those who are not humble. It comes up directly after his talk about unity in the first two chapters, or the first two verses, and then the next two verses, three and four, he moves into this concept of unity, or, or of, of humility. Let me read verses three and four, and I'll put them up here if you don't have a copy of it. He says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, you'll notice that I highlighted uh, the word humility there, and Paul kind of defines it with those two verses, and there's something in his explanation about humility that I think we tend to miss a little bit. And so I need your thinking cap for a second so that you can apply it. Most people think humility means to lower yourself. And so when you lower yourself, you are a humble person. Think of yourself lowly, and that means you're humble. That's the general understanding of humility, and it is wrong. Sometimes that's nothing more than self-deprecation. Sometimes it's nothing more than depression. There are times in which it's not even true. And so the concept of lowering yourself is not humility. Let me give you an example. Let me make up something that we would all understand. I was trying to think of, you know, who, what celebrity out there in the world that everybody would recognize. So I landed on Michael Jordan. So everybody knows who Michael Jordan was. So let's say in Michael's prime, after a game, he scores 60 points, and a reporter is asking him a question, and a reporter says this to Michael Jordan. He goes, you are the best basketball player that has ever been in all the world. And Michael says this, oh, man, I don't know about that. You know, I still got some improvement on defense, and I still miss a lot of shots. And if he said that, a lot of people would say that was a humble answer. 
That was not a humble answer. That is not humility. If you look at how Paul defines it in the third and fourth verses, you find out that what he talked about when it comes to humility is the focus left yourself. So when Michael says, well, I'm, you know, I'm not very good, I gotta get, get a little bit on defense, he's focusing on himself. Even though he's knocking him down, he's looking at himself. And Paul says, no, humility is the redirection of focus. That it's not about me, it goes out to somebody else, and watch this, it, when it goes out to the other person, then we are in the arena of humility. And so Paul said, consider others. See that? We're moving it out. He said, look also to the interest of others. And so humility in its fullest sense is not just de-emphasizing myself. It is turning the focus on somebody else and raising them in value to me. And so here's the actual explanation of humility from a biblical standpoint. It is redirecting focus from self to others by elevating their interest over yours. And so if Michael Jordan were truly humble, here's what he would say to the reporter. Well, man, that's nice of you to say that, but I still got a lot of ways to go, man. But I've been reading some of your articles, dude. Man, you got a way with words that is captivating. Keep it up. We need people like you on the press. Do you see what he did? He redirected the focus on somebody else and lifted them above himself. So once Paul defines that virtue, he then moves right into saying, now let me think of somebody who would be a good example of that. And Paul says, the best example I can think of is Jesus. And so the fifth verse, he now describes the humility of Jesus. Notice what he says in verse five. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross, even or became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what Jesus did was he took the focus off of himself. He's God, but he would become a man. He was in heaven, but he'd come to earth. He was living in paradise, but he would die. He got rid of the focus of himself. In fact, the word is not just that he took on the nature, but he emptied it. He poured it all out. The focus is not on me. And the needs that you and I have were risen above his. If I don't die, those people are going to perish. That is humility. Humility is the ability to get the light off of me and onto you and lift you above me. Now, here's why I think that's so important. That is the last thing that we are seeing in the political world today. It's the last thing. And somewhere, I don't know because whether we think it's sexy 
or we think it's funny, or we agree with it. I don't, I don't know what it is, but the Christian community, including the one who is talking to you, hears the lack of humility out in the world, and we jump on that bandwagon. We're not going to learn it from them. So let me give you an example. I wrote this out. I don't know if it's right or not, but it'll kind of get you the idea. Um, apparently, we will not be having a presidential debate this year, okay? That's what they're telling us. Now, a lot can change between now and fall, but it seems how things are shaking out. You all know what I'm talking about. There is probably not going to be the leading candidates from the two major parties in a one debate so that you and I can hear issues and make decide how we're going to vote. That's what we always do, but it doesn't sound like we're going to do that this year for a variety of different reasons. So based on what we're hearing, let me take a stab at what a debate would probably look like if we had it. So let me give you an idea. The moderator will begin with a question to candidate one. Candidate number one, here's the question. What will be your plan for the southern border? So candidate number one will say this. Thank you for asking that important question. I and my advisors have thoroughly evaluated the issue. Unlock, unlike my opponent, who doesn't understand anything about this, and our plan would be to do X, Y, and Z. When he's done, the moderator will look at candidate number two and say, what's your response to the plan of candidate number one? Candidate number two will say this, that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know it won't work, or maybe you're so dumb you don't know, but you have to quit lying to the American people. The only thing that'll work is my plan, X, Y, and Z. And from there, they will run through all the insults they can possibly come up with concerning the southern border. And then the moderator will ask candidate number two, how would you fix the economy and bring down prices? Candidate number two will say this, well, it's going to take some work to fix everything Bozo messed up. But if we do these three things, I think we're going to see some good results. And moderator will look at candidate number one and say, what's your response to that plan of candidate number two? Candidate number one will say, he's lying to you. He will never do those things. He doesn't care what a gallon of milk costs you. I'm going to have to fix everything he's ruined. Do you see what's happening? No humility. None. Because the focus is self and de-escalation of everybody else other than self. And that's the world that we're living in. And Paul writes the second chapter of Philippians and says, don't get caught up in that. Why? Why is that such a big deal? Because God says, I'm counting on you to live in such a different way that it will attract them to your beauty. And God says, you're the only hope that I have to attract an evil, ugly world. You cannot do it that way. But we do. Now dream with me, okay? Dream with me. Come on, come on, come on. Come here, come here. What if we could snap our fingers and we saturate the candidates with humility? 
So let's replay the debate. Moderator asks number one, what's your plan for the southern border? Candidate number one says, well, thank you for asking that important question. Both my opponent and I are trying to figure something out that will be a win-win for everybody involved. And he knows and I know it's a tough challenge. I mean, I want to first of all try this and see if it works. And the moderator will then ask candidate number two, what's your response to the plan of candidate number one? Candidate number two will say, you know, I think there's some parts of his plan that are worth trying. Anybody ever hear that? I would probably tweak a few things. I think there's some things that might be a little more effective, so we're not entirely on the same page, but I mean, we got to try something. So after the moderator recovers from a heart attack over those answers, he then says to candidate number two, how will you fix the economy and bring prices down? And candidate number two says, well, I heard my opponent say the other day that he wants all Americans to thrive, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. I probably want to reduce taxes more than him, but his approach to prescription drugs is spot on. And the moderator asked candidate number one, what's your response to his answer on the question? He says, well, he's right about our differences about taxes. It just seems to me we got to increase revenue, but we can't go crazy about it. It's true what he said. We got to let the American people keep as much of their money as possible. And I think his approach in investing in American companies more than foreign companies is brilliant. What's the difference? Humility. You do know none of that's going to happen, don't you? <laughs> and that's why God calls the Christian community to be the example of it. We're the only ch chance they have. Now, if you're an East Side person... You know that up on this stage, one of the things that you hear, whoever is teaching, it doesn't matter who's up here teaching, you hear a biblical study tool that is mentioned on many, many times from this stage, and that is teaching us all the power of noticing the context of a passage of Scripture. And so we're going through Philippians chapter 2 where God is asking his people to be different than the world that loses its mind and goes crazy and is divisive. And so watch the context. Look at what's happening all around it. And so if we advance a little bit more in chapter 2, don't go all the way to the end. All you got to do is about the middle of the chapter. And we find an interesting phrase I think it's in verse 15, if I remember. Yeah, verse 15, it says like this. It says that we will shine like stars in the universe. What's that mean? If we can be unified and if we can be humble, we will shine like stars to the world. I want to tell you something, gang. We got to figure that out instead of being so judgmental. Because judgmentalism will not win anybody, even if we're right. We've gotta figure a way to tell the truth in love and compassion and in a manner in which it attracts people into conversation and they will not be attracted when we yell the loudest and the most hateful. And so it means something. It means something that they see our marriages and your marriages are in a spirit of humility.
where husbands surrender to their wives and lift them above themselves, and wives do the same for husbands. Our marriages are lived in a way where they on the outside go, I don't know what you're drinking in your home, but dude, I want some of it. And we're raising our kids differently, and we're dealing with money differently, and we're taking care of the poor differently, and we're doing it in a humble way. And they are attracted to that because we shine like stars in the universe. Now, I'm going to send you out here in a few minutes, and uh, i got to give you the normal reminders before we do that, okay? So thanks for coming. You know, have we said that yet? Okay. We're good. Thanks for coming. Um, if you're a guest, we got a gift for you, okay? So really, it's important. If you're one of our guests, we're glad you have. we got a gift for you out there, okay? I don't know what it is. Yeah, whatever. Go get you something and uh, have a good night on it. And uh, if you haven't given your offering yet, um, you owe us money. No, that's not true. But if you haven't given your offering online, we got boxes on the back, okay? So be a part of that. That's a big deal. Pathway, uh, Tuesday, February 27th, please Register, okay? Baptism, membership, volunteer service, um, life groups, introduction, all that stuff happens, okay? You gotta be there February 27th. So, so make sure you do all that, okay? Now, let me send you away with a little takeaway. You remember those little books? Um, if you've had kids in your house, they're little kids' books, and you open them up, and they got a picture of an animal there. And it says on the bottom, and you're teaching you know, your little kid this, you know, what this animal you know, sounds like, okay? So you open it up and, you know, you got a, you, you got a pig there. What's a pig sound? Oink, oink, you know? Y'all you, know what I'm talking about? Don't look at me like, dude, what in the world? Okay, you, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying, okay? Duck, quack, quack, okay. So, <laughs> so um, if you turned it and, and uh, you opened it up and there was a cow and it said, what was the cow sound like? Okay. Online, that probably sounded like boo, so that may not work or what. Yeah, moo, moo, moo. Okay, so what, what are you talking about, Ace? So a couple weeks ago, some, um, some folks from our staff went to a conference. And uh, we went to a leadership conference for uh, ministry in large churches in America. And um, let me tell you, there's a whole lot more to what happens around here than what's going on right here. So uh, really helpful. We spent some time down in Savannah, and we learned about, you know, large churches and different things we're facing, and it was just really, really good. Learned a lot of good stuff, and uh, God's just blessing our church, going to keep blessing it. So it was really cool to be there. And one of the best things that I heard, that I said, man, I'm taking that back. I never heard that. That is awesome. Uh, was taught to me uh, by our own Neil Lancaster at the airport. I thought, dude, we could have stayed back there, and you told, told this to me. But he said, uh, he goes, man, I'll tell you what, I believe in the, uh, the leadership principle of moo. I said, what? Moo, M-O-O. -O. So he said, I really believe in moo. And I thought, man, I knew we should have brought somebody else with us on this trip. And I said, what in the world are you talking about? And he said, man, that's a principle, okay? And it means moment of opportunity. That's what it means. And what Neil was sharing with me about that is that you have to learn to look for moments of opportunity. 
Now, I've been around long enough to know that the Word of God, when it is taught, that His Spirit will take what is taught, and if you've paid attention, if you've been sleeping and texting and Facebook, ain't gonna happen to you, okay? We know who y'all are. We got cameras, okay, bro? All right. <laughs> so, I've been around long enough to know that if you sit under the teaching of the Word of God, that which you teach, listen, I'm, I'm telling you this is true, that when you learn it and you take off, that the Holy Spirit will give you opportunities to do it. And, and, if, and if you're thinking, man, I don't even know what you're talking about, it's because You've not moved. <laughs> so let me, let me tell you what's going to happen. In a very quick amount of time, I don't know if it's tonight, I don't know if it's next week, if you have learned the concept of humility... The Holy Spirit is going to give you an opportunity to be beautiful in humility or to be ugly in self-absorption. Choose wisely. Let's appreciate the power of God's Word. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.